feel like the majority of you all show up at the same time. It's like 9.44 and I'm like, where is everybody? <laughs> and then 9.45 comes and there's everybody. So and, uh, We do have several families out of town today traveling. Um, I know there's <clears throat> some folks who aren't feeling well, so if you would keep them in your prayers, please. Uh, but this morning we're going to be back in our, in our series going through following the steps of Christ uh, through the Gospels. We're going to be in Mark chapter 7. Most of all, we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 23. We also find this, this same account, account from Matthew's perspective, and that will be in Matthew 15, 10 through 20. Um, I have planned to read uh, Matthew 15, 10 through 20, and then we'll go back to Mark and we'll do our study from, from Mark. I just want us to see how they, how they work together, the different details that are, that are in each. We're not going to study necessarily what Matthew has to say, but the big picture, Jesus um, is, is speaking the same things. We just see more details um, when we compare the two. Um, remember where we're at in the study. If It's been a couple of weeks uh, when we were in, since we've been in our study here, but we just saw the Pharisees call Jesus out. Remember, they, they get a hold of Jesus. They, they catch Jesus. They catch his disciples eating without washing their hands in a way that was ceremonially clean. Are we ringing some bells now? Where, uh, and you remember we talked about those rituals of how they washed their hands with pouring the water on with the fingers up till the water falls off the wrist, turning the hands over, letting the water run off till the hand drips off the fingers. And this would happen before you ate and between courses. And it's a way to where they would try to keep themselves ceremonially clean. And we talked about this was extra biblical uh, rituals that they had placed on themselves to try to keep themselves clean and holy. So they're calling Jesus out for the way that he is letting his disciples eat their food without washing their hands in a certain way. Um, and Jesus is going to explain to the people the real problem, the real issue is not with washing your hands, it's, it's a heart issue. And we're going to look at that in, in depth today. Um, probably will not be a super popular message, uh, especially in, uh, in uh, the way the world thinks or in non, with a non-biblical world view, um, wouldn't be received real, real popular uh, to most of the world. But um, Jesus Christ is teaching a truth, he's pointing out a principle, and it doesn't matter whether it's popular with the general masses or not, it's what Jesus says, and it's, it's reality, it's truth, and it's a truth that everyone needs to come face to face with. So, Jesus goes on to tell these Pharisees uh, that they were not focusing on the right things, that their priorities were in the wrong place. Um, that they care more about their, their man-made religious system and self-righteousness than they did about God's Word or even loving God sincerely. And you can read about that in the first part of Mark if you would like to, to see the details there. But they were rejecting God's commands in order to keep their own tradition. So when it came down to it in their mind, was it keep what God says or keep our traditions? they were going to jump on their traditions and they were going to hold their traditions. Within their tradition, they would try to find a way to justify how they could avoid what God said. So you can see the emphasis in their mind was on doing their traditions or, or keeping up with, with their writings instead of what God had said. 
the Pharisees were offended by Jesus' response here. They apparently walk away. Then we have Jesus calling all the people to listen to what He has to say. He is going to shed light on the accusation of the Pharisees here. And it's really going to expose what the real problem was. And I could imagine, and, and I'm gonna, there's a lot of details today. Uh, I'm going to ask you to, to stay with me and, and to, to try to catch these details, to maybe even try to put yourself in the story here today. I know that I ask you to do that a lot. Uh, but I want you to think about this, what had just happened, this interaction between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day. Because they had called Jesus out, and Jesus says, you're hypocrites. You, you've got it wrong. So imagine these people who had been raised their whole life in a certain way, hearing certain things, were hearing the importance of the, these rituals and these traditions, and then you get this man coming in claiming to be the Messiah, and he's, his thought is, those are pictures of things to come. I, I am the fulfillment of the pictures of what those those meant to, were meant to be. And most of what they believe was written down man-made stuff that Jesus, that God, never intended for them to even follow or observe or believe. So let's get that straight. But I want you to try to, to put on a mind in the way that they would think. Because if you see Jesus challenging the Pharisees, the Pharisee, Pharisees challenging Jesus, you would probably have some questions. Jesus was challenging their traditions and their religious ways that they had been following for years and years and years and years. Look at Matthew's account. I know I told you to start in Mark, but we'll start in Matthew. Matthew 15, uh, starting in verse 10. So this is where Jesus calls the multitude to himself. Verse 10, And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand. Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. So, so we have the disciples here worried about the Pharisees are walking away. Jesus, you offended them. They had a problem with you. Well, they're going to have a lot of problems with Jesus and his message and what he has to say. Jesus says, let them go. They're blind leaders of the blind. Verse 15, Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth into the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the drop? But those things which proceed out of the mouth cometh from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. We see the big idea here. We see what's going on. Let's pray together and then we'll jump right into Mark and, and we'll see what's, what's going on there. Dear Father, I thank you 
so much that we can spend some time focusing on you today, that we can worship you together, that we can consider your greatness, that we can consider uh, your redemption, that we can consider your faithfulness, your mercy. I pray that you would just please work in our hearts, that you will show us that, that we need you, that you are the answer, that we can't make ourselves better, that, that we can't earn your favor, that, that we need you and you are the only hope for humanity. I pray that you will help us to have tender hearts, that we will not harden our hearts, but that we will see your truth, that your spirit will work in our lives today, that you will expose things to us that we need to be exposed. I pray that you would please work in us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So in studying this interaction of Jesus, I couldn't help but think about the mentality of many people today. Think about the thought process of many people today. People would claim to be morally good. If you ask somebody, go out on the street and poll people, are you a good person? A lot of people will say yes. You know, I've done a few bad things, but in general, I'm a, I'm a, good, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I'm not as bad as him or her or whatever. I'm pretty good. Um, any wrongdoings that they might bring up in their life can be or are blamed on outside circumstances or situations. Have you experienced that? Man, I'd be a lot better if my dad wasn't this or if I hadn't been exposed to this. And I'm a good person, but I, I've, I'm kind of, I've done bad things, but it's not my fault. It's because of my environment. We see blame shifting. We see rationalization for behavioral flaws. The general idea is I'm a pretty good person. I've done some bad things, but I haven't done anything that bad. Uh, um, I, I think I, I've done enough good to make me a good person. Popular stuff. We hear this stuff. I am better than most people. I might do bad things, but my heart is good. My heart is in the right place. Have you heard this stuff? Popular mentality, but what's popular isn't always what is right. I told you I might not be a real popular person today. It's, might be a quiet room, and, um, but uh, I, I just I want us to think about this because this is a reality, and we might not like it. it. It might hurt, but that means God's working on our hearts. And isn't that exactly who we want working on us? That mentality is contrary to biblical reality. People are not sinners because of outside influences. Outside influences may compound the sin issue, but that's not the heart of the issue is outside influences. Um, you put a, a kid in a room by themselves and they can find a way to get into trouble. People are sinners because... They are born sinners. People are sinners because they're sinners. That, that's, what, that's what we are. Romans 5.12 tells us that all have sinned. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned. We can go through the Bible and we can see that 
humans are sinners. That humanity has a problem, and it's a sin problem. And this sin problem is personal, and it's real, and it involves every single person, with the exception of Jesus Christ, who is the only perfect one, which made Him the only possible sacrifice, the only one who could satisfy God's just, holy, righteous demands. But everyone else, we're in big trouble. We have a heart problem. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Corruption exists inside of human beings. James 1.14 and 15, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of what? His own lust. Personal. And enticed Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and when sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The popular modern worldview, people are good, people generally have have good hearts, they might make mistakes, corruption comes from the outside circumstances, good people can do bad things sometimes. The biblical worldview, people are sinners, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Aren't you glad you came to church today so you could hear how wonderful you are? I'm in the same boat. And we understand that, that there is a sin problem. Rewind back now with this popular worldview in mind. Because the Bible is still relevant. The same attitude is still in people today that we found back in the Pharisees. And people can look back at the Pharisees and say they were a whole bunch of hypocrites. Well, welcome to today, still hypocrites. It, it doesn't matter whether Pharisee is in front of your name tag or not. Sin has existed. People back in the day of Jesus, when Jesus was ministering on the earth, people thought that they were good and they were trying to protect their goodness by strict external standards. So people entered this this religious atmosphere thinking that they were good. On the inside, they were good. And they needed to protect themselves from being defiled from the outside. And specifically, we see the Jews here. We know they, they hated Gentiles. They tried to keep Gentiles away. They hated the Romans. They wanted to keep the Romans away. They wanted to keep themselves pure. They wanted to keep themselves right. So then they start building these walls around themselves. And we can see these these walls showing themselves in the many different books that they had written for how to protect themselves from being defiled. Do you see these walls compounding? And they're trying to build a wall around themselves to make themselves holy. The problem is, is that they are not holy. They are sinners. They need a Savior. And they're building these walls to protect themselves to be holy. But what they're doing is they're building a shelter around a sinful flesh. They were trying to protect something that they never had. They were trying to protect holiness. And themselves, they didn't have holiness. They had Ten Commandments they couldn't keep. And we still can't keep. The commandments were to expose sinfulness. But they wanted to protect themselves from ever sinning, but they had already sinned, so they were already 
Am I making the point clear here? Like, you can see this. We'll move on. Our text, verse 14 of chapter 7. And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. So can you picture the, the Pharisees kind of walking away? I don't know how long this was from when Jesus confronted the Pharisees here. Can you picture them kind of walking away and the disciples being all worried? You offended the Pharisees. Look at them walking away. Those are religious leaders and you offended them. Jesus says, let them go. They're blind leading the blind. They're going to fall in the ditch and they're going to take their followers with them. So you picture the Pharisees walking away. Then Jesus trying to get the crowd, trying to get the multitude Come closer. Listen to what I have to say. It is very, very important. What I have to say to you is important. You're going to want to listen to me, and you need to understand what I am telling you. Do you catch that? Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. Listen closely. Understand what I am going to say to you. Verse 15. There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. So Jesus gives them this, this reality, this, this truth to think about. He says, you're not defiled. What defiled means is, is profaned or polluted or unclean. You're not unclean because of, of what comes into you. You're not unclean because you eat your food without washing your hands a certain way. You're defiled by what comes out of you. You and I are probably pretty familiar with this, this teaching. I've heard this story since I was in the nursery. We're familiar with this idea that it's what comes out of you that defiles you or that proves that you're defiled. But again, think back to this crowd that Jesus is, is telling this to. Their whole life was built around keeping things from coming into them that could defile them. I think this is like a, a mind-blowing moment or maybe a moment where they just decide Jesus is crazy and they're going to walk away from him. Because that blows up everything they've lived for. Imagine spending 80 years of your life keeping all these rituals and traditions and, and keeping yourself holy and clean and right. But you miss the fact that you're not clean or right no matter what you do, how you wash your hands. And then Jesus, this man claiming to be the Messiah, comes on the scene and says, hey, listen, it's not what, what comes in that defiles you, it's what comes out of you. You are corrupt. Your heart is the problem, and your heart proves that you have an internal problem. Man, I imagine those people like, oh, man, I've had it wrong, or maybe this, I'm not listening to this guy anymore. I'm just going to keep doing my thing and keep washing my hands all the time. So we have these people adhering these things. They worked hard to build a wall to keep themselves from being unclean. The problem was they were unclean already. What came out of them was proof that their hearts were not pure before God. Verse 16, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. You see Jesus trying to get these people to grab onto this and to listen to this. He started out with hearken, pay attention, listen to what I have to say. He says this parable, the scriptures call it, and then at the end he says, if you got ears, you better hear, you better listen, you better pay attention, think about what I just had to say to you. That's kind of the end of the, the discussion there. 
that Jesus has with, with these people. They needed to quit trying to make their defiled hearts clean and turn to Jesus for a new heart. They needed Jesus, and he's trying to show them this clearly. Verse 17, And when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So we have Jesus kind of leaving the crowd, gives them this this food for thought here, this chew on this truth and do a whole lot more than chew on it. Listen to it and believe it and apply it to your lives. Then he goes into a a private place with his disciples. Um, They're away from the crowds. His disciples have some questions about what Jesus had said. And if you think about it, the disciples would have been raised a certain way too. They would have had a certain thought process too. We saw them being concerned about the Pharisees walking away. Now you could imagine them having some questions about what Jesus had to say. They would have been used to following certain traditions and believing certain things. This truth from Jesus would have possibly been a shock to them too. They were willing to listen to and learn from Jesus. The disciples were just people after all. They, they were apostles. They had specific roles and, and things that they were going to do, but they were humans. They were sinful humans. They were open to learning from and to following Jesus. Their hearts were, were tender to see what Jesus had for them. They understood that he was the way, the truth, the life. They understood that he had the words to eternal life, as Peter said in John chapter 6. So they ask him about the parable. Verse 18 and 19, we'll read them together. Or sorry, I'll read them both at the same time. And he saith unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him? Because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats? So Jesus rebukes them. We have this, this rebuke here from Jesus. Don't you, don't you get it? Then we have Jesus patiently explaining to them. So he calls them out. Don't you, don't you get it? Logically think about this. Then he starts to patiently explain. The heart that we're talking about here is referring to the inner person. Uh, we find scriptures refer to our, our inner person so often as, as the heart. It's referring to our, our mental, our, or the seat of our mental, our emotional, and our spiritual being. It, it's where the human's attitudes, affections, um, priorities, ambitions, and desires come from. So this is our heart here. We're not talking about you know, the thing moving the blood around your body. It's a picture, though, of our, of our innermost being, who we really are. What Jesus is pointing out here is that physical food, even if it was eaten with unwashed hands, could not defile a person. The heart condition, the spiritual condition before God is not determined by what we eat. We're not declared righteous before God because we wash our hands a certain way or with certain soap, or with certain temperature of water before we eat. That is not what makes us right before God. That sounds silly to say out loud. But look back at history. And it was in reality, that was their their focus on not defiling themselves. The issue is not how and what you eat. The issue is the spiritual condition of the heart. 
And Jesus is using this picture here to clearly explain that. Jesus makes it clear in verse 19 that the food that comes in is not what defiles you. He uses some interesting language there. He uses the word draught. This is the place where human waste is dumped. If you want to know what the picture really gives from the Greek, it's a place where you go privately to sit down. That's the value that Jesus places on the stuff that you try to put in to not defile you, or the way you take care of stuff to not defile you. It ends up in the, in the waste. It's, it's waste is what it is. And there was so much emphasis by these people on, on how they followed the rituals before that they ate. And Jesus says, that's, that's nonsense. Verse 20, and he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. So spiritual defilement is not from the outside, but it's from the inside. Evil comes from the inside. The actions and the attitudes of humanity prove that. Verses 21 and 22, For from within, out of the heart of men, Proceedeth, or proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Jesus says, from within, out of the heart. Here we see both attitudes and we see both actions. Even evil thoughts are included here, come from inside the heart. And you look at the world and you say, what in the world is wrong with people? Why is our society heading this way? Why is there so much sin? How can people even imagine or think about doing things like that? You watch the news and you're just, your mind is blown away. Of People do horrible things. And society likes to blame it on circumstance and society. But it's the heart. And it's a personal problem with every single person. I was talking with Maggie on the way to church this morning. On Wednesday nights, we're doing a study through the kings, and we, we get to see the different kings and the way God used them or what happened there. But you can see wickedness back then. We looked at, at one of the queens that, that raised up in the line. She tried to wipe out the line of David by killing out her own grandchildren. Did you catch, Grandparents, did you hear that? She killed her own grandchildren to promote Baal worship in the land. But God spared one, and he ended up being king. He was hidden for years. We see God working. But, but what I want to could you imagine hear about, hearing about that on the news today, though? Like, wow, this world is horrible. It's been going on since Adam and Eve had difficulty in the garden. One of their kids killed the other kid. The problem is a heart problem. And Jesus is trying to make that so clear that everyone is accountable for what comes out of them. And it comes out of them because of a, a wicked heart. And Jesus goes through the, the attitudes and the actions that are described here. And if you, 
if you step back and you look at them, you find a lot of the commandments are broken, and it's a heart problem. I mean, if you look at this list, you can find them right in the Ten Commandments. Uh, we have adulteries. Adulteries is sexual sin that violates the marriage covenant. We have, he mentions fornications. Interesting, the, the word for fornications is pornea. It's where we get our, our word pornography. You think about all of that that goes on. Where does that come from? It comes from a sinful heart. The murders. Uh, thefts. Thefts comes from the word klepto. It's interesting. Kleptomaniac today. Covetousness. Desires and behaviors motivated by greed. Wickedness. A general reference to all other sins. So Jesus really includes all wickedness here. Uh, deceit, lying, deception, lasciviousness. This is unbridled lust. This is a, a sin of the mind. This is a, a dirty mind. Evil eye, full of jealousy and hatred. Blasphemy, abusive and injurious uh, speech toward others. Pride, it's a superiority and arrogance. And man, you, you want to see just how wicked the heart is. Uh, see the pride in humanity. Uh, what do we find in in people that promote their self-righteousness? Pride. God, I, I got this. I'm going to do a lot of good things, and, and I'm going to be good because I'm such a good person. And we see this, this pride elevating people to, to a position that they don't rightfully have. Uh, foolishness. This is a general term for moral folly and senselessness. Then verse 23 Jesus makes it clear again, all these things come from within and defile the man. The real problem is on the inside. The real problem is a sinful heart. The real problem cannot be fixed by conforming to external rules and regulations. And we find people trying to do that since time began. Creating up rules and regulations to try to be right. The problem with people, the problem with the world is found on an individual level and it is because of sinful hearts. More rules, more regulations, stricter enforcement, people trying to be better is not the solution. My high school class, um, we liked to press the rules a little bit, just a little. I don't know if I'd include myself in we, but uh, the, the rules would be pressed. And there was rules changed in the high school. I went to a, a private Christian high school. There was rules changed in the high school because of kids in my class. But changing those rules, why they're important, I, I understand how they work. But they didn't make the kids any better. You still find kids doing the same thing that we were doing. And looking back, that was a few years ago, even, even for me. R rules are not the answer. Enforcement is not the answer. People trying to be better is not the solution. People don't need to try harder to be right before God. 
people need to repent. The solution is Jesus. Coming to that place where you recognize, God, I can't do this on my own, where the Spirit is, is working in you, God is working in you, and you get to this place where, God, I need you. I cannot be right with you in my own strength. I need you. I have been wrong. You are the only solution for my sin problem. It's not me building a wall around myself to protect myself and, and try to do more good so that God will like me. It's me trusting in God, in Jesus, in His righteousness, looking to Him for salvation. That is where the answer is. Titus 3, 5-7 Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Isn't that a beautiful word when you think about our, hopeful, our hopelessness apart from Christ? But through Jesus we have a Savior that being justified, being declared righteous by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We have a big, big problem because we're sinners that we can't fix on our own no matter how much good or how much right we do. But Jesus is the solution. Jesus can cleanse us, can make us right from the inside out. See, righteousness doesn't happen from the outside in. It's the inside out, and it's only through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The self-righteous Judaizers focus was in the wrong place. They were trying to preserve something that was never there. They were trying to conform when what they needed was to be transformed by Jesus. You see the difference there? They could have kept building that wall around themselves. And I heard a, a, a clip of, of a, a rabbi who was still trying to do that. There are still people trying to do that. The Messiah has come. The answer has come. The pictures have been fulfilled. Jesus Christ has offered redemption. Jesus Christ has offered salvation. Jesus is the only answer. Jesus paid the price. Jesus can give life. I wonder, are you trusting in Him? If you're trusting in this church to save you, if you're trusting in anything other than Jesus to save you, Pay attention to what Jesus said. And then believers. Um, I think we need to be careful as well. Because we can say, oh, I, I trust in Christ. He's my everything. I know that He is the only answer for my righteousness. That He is the only answer for my salvation. We need to be careful to not base our value with God on what we do. It's like the same thing just from a different angle. We may have trusted in Christ for salvation, but we're finding our value in Him because of, of what we do. 
I understand we are supposed to do right. I understand our actions are important. I understand there are disciplines within the Christian walk. I'm not, I'm not at all saying don't care about anything. You know, it doesn't matter what you do. Do whatever you want just so long as you believe in, in Jesus. That is not what I'm saying at all, so don't get confused with that. Good works are not our focus. Christ is our focus. Glorifying God is our purpose. Our focus isn't on how good can I be. Our focus is on Jesus Christ. And how does that work? When we're focused on Him, when we're walking with Him, when our relationship is in tune with Him, we don't have to worry about conjuring up a list of what we can do or what we can't do. Because we're walking in obedience to the Spirit and He leads us and He guides us and He shows us exactly what we're supposed to be doing and how we're supposed to act and how we're supposed to be treating people. The fruit of the Spirit flows out of us. And those around us see love, joy, peace, long suffering, all this stuff. Not because we've done a good job of memorizing, oh, I better not do that. It's because we know who Jesus is and He's alive and He's powerful. I have a friend from high school. He may or may not have been one of the ones pushing the limits with me. Uh, but this week he, he had this quote. I thought it was interesting. It says, he said, I wish that I would have spent less time focusing on myself trying to be good and more time getting to know the only one that is good. It is this relationship with Christ that transforms not our feeble attempts at being better. I mean, it almost gives me goosebumps. One more time. I just want to read it one more time. I wish that I would have spent less time focusing on myself trying to be good and more time getting to know the only one that is good. It is this relationship with Christ that transforms. Not our feeble attempts at being better. You ever tried to be better on your own? Good luck, right? I mean, we can start with New Year's resolutions to show how that one works. We need Jesus, and if He is our focus, it changes our life. It changes our motivation. And ultimately, it brings glory to God, which is the reason we're created, for His pleasure. And I, when I read that, I thought of when Paul is, is writing in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. He shows his emphasis there was that I may know Him. He desired that relationship with Christ, which should be our focus, is Christ. And then the rest of those, those good works. Christ did create us. We were created unto good works. We were saved. We were changed. He's working in us, so those things will come. But they're based on Him, not stuff that we conjure up. Let's pray together. Dear Father, 